0: Acts chapter 1, amazing to see what God's doing there in Australia, what a wonderful missions conference this has been so far, looking forward to being here for quite a while, interacting with everyone here at Central, thanking you, updating you on what's going on, it's so important, keep you energized and interested in missions and passionate it helps you to be able to give sacrificially we can, we, we, when you can see firsthand where that money is going, how it's being applied, and how this church is having an impact all around the world. And just no, nothing makes me happier than to be able to be a part of a missions conference and celebrate what God's doing. And... Uh, decide together really also about what more can be done and, and how, how in the past Central has done wonderful things, but how I fully expect to come back through here in five years and see even more being done, see even greater things, watching this church have a greater impact all around the world. Acts chapter 8, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, um, as, we, as we discuss our, 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 our text, right, as we discuss the theme of our conference, Go and Tell, being an everyday missionary, I don't think there is a single verse in all of Scripture that deals with this subject in a more direct and clear and concrete way than Acts chapter 1. And verse 8, follow with me as I read Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that declares the following. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Dear Lord, as we stand in your presence this morning, I, I thank you. For this church and its deep desire uh, to be involved and to obey the commandment in this verse that dictates that we must be about the work of making sure that the gospel is taken to every corner, every nook and cranny, every street, every village, every neighborhood, every city, every country in the world. That is our mandate. That that is our our objective, and we as individuals and we as a church corporatively should should have a desire to frequently, uh, as we're doing in this missions conference, sit down together, strategize, look at the future, encourage each other, rehearse what God's already doing, and see what more can be done to fulfill this wonderful commandment. That this conference would have this objective, Lord, and, and that, by the, that by the end of this day, each and every person here at Central would have a clear vision, would have a clear understanding, uh, would have a passion uh, for, for fulfilling this mandate, for fulfilling this commandment. So teach us great things contained in your word this morning, that your word would be as it is, uh, is a two-edged sword, that it would reach deeply into our soul. That each and every person that's come this morning and gathered together uh, to to look at missions, to talk about going and telling, that they would leave today uh, having been transformed by the power of your word. And that uh, the concept that you wish to teach us, Lord, here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, would, would be solidified in the minds and hearts of each person here this morning that is my prayer, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would teach us, that you would transform us by the preaching of your word. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray all these things this morning. Amen. So here we see some basic uh, right? some, uh, some, some basic truth that we all have to understand uh, before we go very far into this passage. And the first thing that we see here is that we're given a job to do something, right? And you shall be witnesses unto me so, the first thing that we observe in this verse here is that we each one, and so often we think of missions, and a missionary is a guy that gets on a plane or he gets on a, uh, on a train or a car or even a bicycle or a canoe, and he goes somewhere in the world, some faraway place, far away from Portsmouth, certainly, to preach the gospel, and that 's what missions is, and you know that, that's what we 're here to celebrate. But it, you know, as we look carefully at this verse, I think we have to understand the universality, and really, we have to be very careful and, and certainly. I I think we have to comprehend that God's, uh, uh, God's mandate, right, and the people who he intended this verse to apply to goes much further than that. And, and certainly, I, I feel that this verse speaks to each and every Christian. Every person sitting in this auditorium today is under the application of this, verse, this verse's mandate, Think anyone's exempt? I don't see any clause. You read the verses before, you can exegete the verses before and the verses after. And there's no indication that this this verse speaks only to certain individuals that are to go to faraway places and there preach the gospel. Really, the verse talks about Jerusalem. They were close by at the time. I'm sure many of you have have heard the application of this verse as it's taught, and we have a mandate to preach first in our backyard, right? And, you know, sort of a concentric circle, and then uh, it starts. There and then uh, moves further out, and fi- finally, we have an obligation to preach to the uttermost. Uh, and uh, certainly, that's part of this. But first of all, we have to comprehend that every believer carries a responsibility in what this verse teaches, right? So some people automatically walked in, you know, this morning our church is talking about missions, and that's not really my thing. I'm not, you know, I'm, I work in the military around here. I work in one of the shipyards around here, and that, that, that has nothing to do with me. That, that, that thinking is incorrect, right? This verse applies to you, Period. We, we, we don't see any exceptions, right? But ye, but, uh, but ye shall receive power by the Holy Ghost and, and, who will come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Universal commandment applies to all of us. All of us who know Christ as Savior have the obligation and the commandment and the job of witnessing and, and, and certainly, certainly, that isn't something exclusive to missionaries, right we all We all, I think understand that um, uh, uh, that that this verse applies to each and every christian we all We all have the same the same measure of commitment and obligation. Secondly, I think it's important to, also to understand what what message we're supposed to be taking. You shall be witnesses unto me here obviously we're, we're, we're talking about being willing to go to those who are lost and testifying. Really, maybe that's the greatest way to share the gospel is talk about what God's done in your own life, that he, he has washed away your sins in his blood. Uh, my mother was born and raised in an unsaved home, and uh, really she became a missionary, and, and there was no clear testimony that her parents were ever saved, although she witnessed to many times uh, that her two brothers were ever saved. But if she were here giving her testimony, she would tell you uh, that, that something in her, and they used to hike a lot. They used to go out in the mountains. And, and, and the Bible even teaches us that Christ's creation will, will, will speak of his glory and his power and of his presence, and that really that's what drew her, and, and she started attending different churches. And as she went to these churches, a question in her mind always was, what happens to my sin, right? What what, what goes, what, who, who can wash away my sins? What what can I do about my sin. And she visited several churches and finally, finally bumped into someone who shared their, who witnessed to her, right, of what God had done in their own life at the moment of their conversion by washing away their sin. And as soon as she heard the gospel for the very first time, she knew it was something that she had been searching for all of her life. And she was born again the very first time she heard the gospel. She didn't go to a Baptist church for years and years and years. It was at work. She had taken a job as a typist and a co worker witnessed. To her, and the very first time she heard the gospel, everything just kind of gelled, and she understood, well, there is one who paid the price, and it was through the testimony of that person that she was born again. And this is what we're to do. Each and every one of us, there are no exemptions here. No, no one gets to say, Well, I don't have to go to Sao Paulo, I don't have to go to Australia, because certainly. Where you are, God has a mission field for you right there with your coworkers. I'm never going to be able to go where you work. I'm never going to, go to be able to go to the school where you study. I'm never, probably never going to meet the relatives that you have. And so these are all, these are all, if we will, since we're talking about missions, these are all your individual mission fields, right? And this is what God has for you right here. This is the mission field that God has for you. Perchance he's taken me to the country of Brazil to plant churches down there, but certainly he has a task for each and every person present uh, here this morning. And then we move along and we come to the essence and the core and the foundation of what it is. And you will never be successful. You will never be effective. Uh, you will never be able to really um, be uh, all of all uh, of the soul winner that you should be, uh, you will never be completely capable at the task of witnessing to the lost if you don't understand what Christ teaches us in these verses. And it's foundational. It's uh, 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 foundational to what all of us should be about, the business that we should all be about and preaching the gospel to those who are lost around us. And it's fascinating the way Jesus Christ does this. And he's teaching us, um, he's teaching us some profound lessons that echoed down through time 2,000 years ago and uh, are, are, are as applicable to us today as they were as he spoke to his disciples and others present there moments before he was to be uh, translated, transferred from this earth and uh, went, went back to be with the Father, where He guarantees that He has gone to prepare us a place. So it's interesting to note that Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 contains pretty much Christ's last words. Right? As far as we can tell, this is His very last statement that He makes. And so I have to believe. That Jesus Christ, knowing this, knowing that this was his last opportunity to impact his disciples, I would have to think that these are carefully chosen words, and that they are to Christ extremely important, and that he wishes to impart to us a truth that that uh, that, that that to him is very, very, very critical uh, to our to our understanding. And, and, and to our um, uh, uh, to our knowledge, right. so here he is. Uh, he's been through forty days after his resurrection. The Bible tells us he spent another forty days on earth. He he, he was able to use those forty days to continue training his disciples, and now he is just minutes away uh, from 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 returning to the Father. And, and his very last statement is the words that we've read. And I believe contained in them is everything that we need to know and apply if we're gonna be effective uh, ambassadors, if we're gonna be effective missionaries, if we're gonna be effective at imparting the gospel to those around us. Because ultimately, that's our goal, right? We're to be witnesses nearby, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into to the uttermost part. Uh, and that's what we're discussing here this morning, about being an everyday missionary. If you will ever be effective at being an everyday missionary, everyday missionary, you must understand the concepts that Christ teaches in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And I want to go to the foundations. I want to go to the beginning. I want to go to the underpinnings right? I I could spend time talking about how you should witness and work, or maybe how you should take some tracts around in your pocket, and you should. The translator of the Portuguese Bible was a man who received a tract downtown Lisboa in in Portugal 350 years ago, and he was converted through that tract. And I could tell you about taking missions courses, but I think most of you in here are pretty mature Christians, and you have a pretty good understanding of how, or how certainly, and the fact that you should be missionaries. But but here, I want to go to the very philosophy. I want to go to the very essence. I want to study Christ's last statement and how he most certainly knew of this day and wanted us to understand the concepts that he wished to impart to us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that speak directly to this thing of being a missionary every day. If you don't understand this verse, you'll never be very effective. At being a missionary every day. So, so, what's happening here? Jesus has his disciples together. He knows, he, he knows that he'll be leaving in moments. He knows this is going to be his very last opportunity to direct instruction uh, to, to, to his disciples. And he makes this fascinating statement that is full of deep truth if you, if you understand it, right? He has them all together. And he says, "Now listen, fellas." And it's interesting. The verses preceding are inter- are interesting because we see that they're still expecting some kind of political outcome, and, and they they can't comprehend that Jesus has come for. Far more uh, than uh, than uh, than uh, releasing the Jews from the Roman influence, right? And someone in the back row raises their hand and says, "When do we make the bumper stickers for Jesus for president, right? When when do we, uh, you know, when do we kick the Romans out of the land?" Uh, And Jesus says, "I'm not I'm not here uh, I'm not here for a political reason. I'm here for far more." I'm here to release men from sin. I'm here, I, I'm here to give all eternal life. That's what I'm here for. And then he makes this statement, right? And he says, you will be witnesses unto me. You'll take the gospel. You will tell the world of my name of Jesus Christ. You will witness about me. And then he states the name of a city. Right? He says Jerusalem is the first name of the city. He says, you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. I promise you that Jesus Christ did not choose this name randomly. At that moment, he could have urged his disciples to go into any number of cities. He could have told them to start their ministry in Rome, the largest city that we know of at that time, cosmopolitan, full of people. Why didn't Jesus tell his disciples, listen, I want you to be witnesses unto me in Rome. He could have told them to go to Bethlehem, his hometown. That's where he's from. I have a burden for my hometown, guys. I want the very first place that you go, once you leave here, I want you to go to Bethlehem and I want you to preach the gospel. There There are thousands and thousands of cities that he could have stated, but I promise you that he was very purposeful and specific as he urges them, as he commands them to go first to the city of Jerusalem. And I promise you that when they heard that name, it, it was to them astounding. I'm sure to them it was unbelievable that Jesus makes this statement. Listen, guys, I want you to go to Jerusalem and there be my witnesses. Now, why would this have been so amazing to them? If you think back just just a little bit with me, what had happened exactly 43 days ago in the city of Jerusalem? What had happened 43 days ago? 43 days ago, Jesus Christ had been crucified in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The people there had come together, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and I promise you that that in the last 40 days, as the disciples recalled and relived the traumatic experience of watching their leader, of watching their Savior, the one who they believed was the Son of God, being being hauled through uh, through, through the streets of the city, taken out to the gates, outside the gates, and there by Roman soldiers be crucified until he died with a crown of thorns on his head I promise you that they had discussed that and Peter probably said I don't think I'm ever going to go back to Jerusalem as long as I live oh by the way the people that had killed Jesus had promised the same fate to all of his disciples They were scared. The Bible tells us following his crucifixion, they uh, kind of had to run and hide because they were wondering if they would be next and if the same people that had done this to Jesus would be knocking on their door and hauling them out to the same place and crucifying them shortly thereafter. See, Jesus is making a clear statement and he's teaching us and it's interesting to me that by simply choosing the name of one city, he teaches us such profound truth. What is he teaching his disciples? He's telling them, listen, and the same truth applies to us today. He's saying, I expect you to go and preach the gospel to people that hate you. They understood the message very, very, very clearly. They knew exactly what Jesus Christ was saying. And I'm sure that they had discussed it among themselves, and they had decided that they would never go back to Jerusalem ever again. That Jerusalem to them was a place that they were not interested in going back to. I'm sure walking by the place that that Christ had been crucified and walking down the same streets where his blood had poured down and had been shed along those places. And all of the terrible memories associated with that guaranteed that if it were up to them, Jerusalem was, was crossed off their list and they would never ever go back to that place again. But yet what do we hear? 43 days exactly after his crucifixion, where does Christ expect them to go to first? Jerusalem. The message is crystal clear. We will often be called to preach the gospel to people that hate us. Do you understand that? We will often be called to preach the gospel to people that hate us. And this, and, 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 and this is growing, okay? I think more now, maybe even more now than them, uh, you look around, you watch the news, you, 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 you look around at the world today, you look around at society, and you realize that more and more, the expectation for us who are believers and have been given this commandment of going and sharing the gospel into in all the world, we will more and more be taking the gospel to people who literally hate us. But that's, but that's Christ's expectation of us. A little over 10 years ago, a missionary by the name of John Leonard was with our board. I see him often um, in the country of Brazil. He went to a small city in, in Alagoas, the state of Alagoas, called Coqueiro Seco. City, the city only has about 10,000 inhabitants, not very large. And God, God sent John Leonard and his family to Coqueiro Seco, a little over a decade ago. There's no Baptist church there. There's no gospel-preaching church in that city as far as he knew. There'd never been a gospel-preaching church in that city. And uh, uh, God, God led him to, this, to the city of Coquero Seco to plant a church. And he had planted the church. Things were going well. Church had grown. There was a particularly kind of terrible evil going on in that city that that, 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 uh, that John became aware of. Um, the, uh, the city mayor, some, uh, some, some of the leadership there, the mayor was, was related to the governor of the state. And, and, and his city had become a center for child prostitution. And, and, and people would come from far, people would come from far and near uh, and uh, would be supplied and provided for in that city with child prostitution. And John Leonard became aware of this and he began to speak, to cry out against this great evil that was happening in the city of coqueiro Seco. One night after the service, he was milling out in front like we were last night in here talking for quite a while. He was was milling out front uh, in front of his church talking to his people, and two men walked up to the congregation, the people that were milling around outside the church, and asked where Pastor John was. Cadê Pastor João? Someone pointed him out and said, he's, you know, he's right over there. And they walked up to him. And they said, are you, are you Pastor João? Are you Pastor John? He said, yes. Immediately, one of the men pulled out a, a large caliber gun and, sh- and shot John in the mouth first. The first bullet penetrated right through his teeth. Matter of fact, some of the teeth shards eventually were lodged into his lungs. The bullet went all the way through his mouth, the, the soft palate, and all the way out the back of his neck. The first shot dropped him to the ground the man stood over him and emptied his gun into the body of John Leonard and walked away and left him for dead. No, didn't imagine there could be any, any other outcome but death for the missionary John Leonard who was shot that day for no other reason than he had been sent there to preach the gospel of Christ. John Leonard survived the attempt on his life Flew him to Cleveland Clinic. There he spent several months rehabbing. Today he's a quadriplegic. He can can feel very little from his neck down. As soon as he could, he got his wheelchair, got on a plane, and went back to Brazil. And today is preaching the gospel. He preached the gospel this morning. Continues to church plan from a wheelchair. Never took another step after, after, after that day, but continues to preach the gospel today. That is Christ's expectation of us. And if we're ever going to be successful at being an everyday missionary, we're going to comprehend and we're going to understand and apply in our lives, right? And know and already be prepared because that's what Christ wished to do, prepare his disciples for this task and know that often we will go and we will have to preach to people that hate us. So get over it, right? Because that's, that, that's what Christ expects. So, so you don't get to go home one day after you've witnessed it worked and, and someone's made fun of you and called you a little preacher, you know, a little preacher at school. Uh, maybe at some point you made it known that you were a Christian and, and now all, everybody makes fun of you. Really what Christ is teaching us is that if we'll ever be effective at being an everyday missionary, this is something we'll have to deal with and be prepared for and know that often we will go and preach the gospel to those who hate us. It's something we should expect. And if we're going to be effective at being everyday missionaries, we need to understand this. Moving on, right? First city that he states is Jerusalem, Judea. Maybe those are the few places where you go where you get kind of, you know, a a, a neutral reaction. Doesn't happen very often. Neutral reaction And then he states the name of of a third place, Samaria, right? Samaria is not a city, it's a region. And again, in choosing this name, Christ is very specific in what he wants his disciples to know and apply about the principle of being an everyday missionary, right? Samaria represents uh, people that we're called to go and preach the gospel to that maybe we don't like so much. Maybe even people that we hate, right? Think back with me. Uh, Jews as a whole were very racist people, even Christ's own disciples. And Samaritans were half-Jews. They were Jews who had intermarried with non-Jews. And uh, these people were expected to live in their own region, Samaria. They were not pure Jews. And they were disliked. Often as you read Christ's preaching, they would come to this region, and the disciples wanted to go around it. There was an interstate around Samaria, and every good Jew would take that... uh, would, uh, would take that loop around and w- it would not be seen going through Samaria. That's why Jesus, speaking to the woman at the well, she was Samaritan, was so amazing. That's why the story uh, of, the, uh, of the man that had been assaulted and left for dead, right, is the story of the what? The good Samaritan. Because to Jews, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. And the message, again, is crystal clear. Often you'll need to go and preach the gospel to people that you don't like so much, right? They're stinky. They're not very nice. They're not very attractive. They don't hold your same political views. They're they're not, you know, they're they're not on your same wavelength, perhaps people that you hate. In our first church plant in Brazil, I I, I bought a home not too far from the church. as a church parsonage. It was about six blocks from the church, I think. It's still there. Pastor Ulysses, who now pastors the church, lives, lives in this home. And uh, in Brazil, the lots are very tight. They're they're five by five by twenty-five meters, so fifteen by seventy-five feet. And uh, we we uh, we bought this home. It was convenient to be close to the church. Renovated, moved moved into it, and soon we realized that living to our left. We had an interesting neighbor, right? His name's Marquinhos. And I don't know if any of you have ever had a neighbor like this, but Marquinhos like to drink a lot on weekends. And in Brazil, they do something interesting. They like to take their stereos from inside their house and put it in their yards. Have you ever seen that? They love to do this in Brazil. Maybe you've had a neighbor like this. I don't know. But in Brazil, a lot of people love to do that. They take their stereo from inside the house. Marquinhos used to do this often about every other weekend. He'd take his stereo, put it in his front yard turn it to the loudest possible volume right? get crazy drunk and do this late into the night always saturday into sunday sunday's our busiest day we have so much to do there's so, so much happening on sundays we needed our rest and there he'd play fahaw you know anyone who knows what falha is and a lot of the songs were pornographic in nature and uh, t- to us it was something very difficult to deal with i think the cia uses loud music as a form of torture right in some cases Loud music when you're trying to sleep is a form of torture, I promise you, right? So here we are, living next door to Marquinhos, trying to get, trying to get our work done, trying to minister. And one, one, one particular night, it was just, it was his birthday or something. It was extra, extra special loud. He had 40 or 50 people over there. He had taken his stereo out into his front yard. He had turned that sucker as loud as he possibly could. By now, it's 2 or 3 in the morning. We haven't had a wink of sleep. Lita's in the room. She's crying a little bit. Diane's laying next to me. She's crying. We're all upset. We're trying to sleep. I'd been down already a couple times and trying to reason with the Mark please, you know, I don't want to ruin your fun. Why don't you take your stereo inside your house? You can keep it up as loud as you want, but out here, it, it sounds like your stereo is in my bedroom, right? And our bedroom faced his property, and there was only a tiny little little um, corridor between our property and his, and we had a second-store bedroom, and we had a window that opened right to his front yard, and I could open that window and see, see everything that was going on. It was just, just a few feet away. And on this particular night, right, I, I look over there and the stereo's blaring and all those people are drinking and it's more than four o'clock in the morning and we're exhausted. We have so much to do the next day. I'd been down twice already and begged him to turn it down with no results. It's about 4, 4.30 in the morning. It was very, very late. Finally out of desperation. This is a true fact. I don't know if I should admit it. I to ask pastor at lunch if I did the right thing or not, but I was frustrated True story, I knelt by the side of my bed and I said, God, maybe I wiped a tear away. (laughs) God, if I mean anything to you, if I'm your servant, you're gonna you're gonna send lightning from heaven and you're gonna strike that man on the head right now. It's a true story. I went over and opened the window, right? Picked him out of the crowd. I said, well, you know, you start bargaining with God. Okay, God, if you don't hit him, you can hit the stereo. I'll take either one at this point. I'll take him or the stereo. Nothing happened, right? Finally, about 5 o'clock in the morning, maybe later out 5.30, they turned it off. We got about a half hour, an hour of sleep before we had to get up and go to church. And I promise you, as much as one man can, I hated Marquinhos with all of my, all of my heart. With all of my soul on that day, I hated that man. A few months later, it was about, again, about three or four in the morning, a weekday, there was a knock on our gate. Someone was pounding at our gate. And I could hear the person calling my name. It was Marquinhos. And Marquinhos and his girlfriend had a, had a newborn. I think the, the baby was about five or six months. It was a very cold morning, and they'd taken that newborn into bed with them, and they'd rolled over. They'd been drinking. They rolled over and smothered that child, and they were desperate for someone to take them to the hospital to see if anything could be done to save the life of their little baby. And for a minute, I hesitated. You know, do I really want to help this guy? Oh, God, what are you doing to me? Right. But I did. I did put my clothes on, blurry-eyed, went down, opened the gate. What can I do for you, Marquins? Please, me leva para hospital. Please take me to the hospital. He was holding the cold body of his baby. I knew, I, I, I knew there wouldn't be anything that would be done, but I pulled my car out. I put them both in the car. We rushed off to the hospital. I spent the day making the plans, the funeral plans, and God gave me the opportunity on that day to share the gospel with that man and his wife. And on that day, I understood the truth and the concept contained in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. So often we will be called to share the gospel with people sometimes that we literally hate. But the truth is so clear. If we will be effective at being everyday missionaries, we will understand. We will apply And we will live by the principles taught to us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We are called to preach to those who hate us. We are called to preach to those whom we hate. Yet these are not excuses. These are simply barriers to be overcome in our task to obey the great commandment of being witnesses far and near of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be your witness. I think so many of us want an easy ride and something's hard. We think we're exempt and we get a pass. Lord, help us to understand and comprehend. This being your last statement to us, I have to believe it's something that you wish us all to deeply understand that what you were trying to teach on that day would reverberate down the annals of history and find a place in our hearts that we would be passionate enough, that we would be dedicated enough to fulfill your commandment of going, to being, going and being testimonies of who you are, Testimonies of your salvation, testimonies of your grace, and understanding that often this means we will be preaching to those who hate us and to those whom we hate. Give us the determination today to overcome our fears, to overcome our reservations, so that we can be effective everyday missionaries where we are. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray all these things this morning. Amen.